is Ami Joseph, technology sector head at Hedgeye, and you're listening to Unscripted Equity Curiosity, a bi-weekly podcast featuring me, Andrew Friedman, Hedgeye's communication sector head, and Felix Wang, Hedgeye's China sector head. In each segment of this podcast, we will discuss and debate topics and trends we are following and offer a look inside our unique research and investment processes. Today, we'll be discussing my general curiosity about investing in China, how to find the right things to get along, how to avoid some of the pitfalls, how to learn about investing in the space, and to my great luck and satisfaction, we have an expert on the line today, Felix Wang, who is going to take <laughs> us through this. Um, it is not a presentation. I'm just going to throw a billion questions at him. He is allowed to say uh, pass and uh, or anything that he wants to say. So we're going to see where that goes. Felix, without further ado, uh, you know that I think you're awesome uh, because I read your research and I listen to you. But I got to tell you, like, I still have such a thirst here. So I'm happy to I'm so happy to, like, you know, kind of get you on the hot mic, I guess, right now. So I guess my first question is, before doing equity research in, on you know Chinese equities, you were focused on GLL, um, and can you give us like just a snapshot of your personal journey in equity research from that sector to this sector? What was the learning curve like? What were the things you had to figure out along the way? What was what was like the hardest and what was the easiest? What was the thing you loved? What's the thing you missed still about GLL? Like, you know, stuff like that. Give us give us give us the journey. Absolutely. Well, thank you first, Omni, for having me on. Uh, this is uh, and thank you for your kind words and your kind introduction. You're welcome. Uh, I think this podcast is very interesting. I, I hope we can have more to come. A lot. There's definitely a lot to debate on, and all three of our sectors have there's definitely a lot of overlap in terms of ideas, themes, and and other things. So I'm very excited on this first uh, edition of this podcast. Just very quickly, uh, I don't want to you know say too much on my background in terms of how I got from GLL to uh, Hedgeye China. And for those who don't know what GLL is, you know, GLL is gaming, lodging, and leisure, basically casinos cruise ships and, and hotels. And right now at Hedgeye, it's, it's led by uh, Mr. Todd Jordan, uh, my former boss, uh, along with his very talented director, Sean Jenkins. And um, so I decided to make this change for a few things. One, uh, I, I miss China covering a lot of the Chinese equities. I know where if you think about casinos, you know, mostly um, on that side, it's mostly Macau names and U.S. regional gaming names. But I want to do something more on the China side, particularly because I've been reading a ton of articles about the new China versus old China. There's a lot of hot IPOs. There's a lot of hot technology giants that's going to be a you know a tremendous force and disruptor for the next five to ten years. So I was wondering, well, people need to know about these names um, now. So they wouldn't be too surprised when these awesome technological changes happen a few years down the road. So that's why I was thinking, well, and we didn't have a Hedgeye China vertical at that time at Hedgeye. So I was thinking, why not lead this effort and 
see if there's something new that we can discover here. It's been a very challenging road. I've been in it for a year. Had to brush up on my Chinese. I think that's one of those, those the biggest challenges. A lot of my conference calls are purely in Mandarin, but it's it's great to be uh, you know kind of have a new venture and to learn about these companies that particularly the, the new Chinese companies. Everybody know the you know the 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 old Chinese giants, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent. But there's some new, fast-growing Chinese companies out there that need to be, that deserve to be known. And for the purpose of this podcast, they've become really great stock ideas. Um, I think it's not just short-term gains. I think there's a longer-term uh, approach to it as well. So, you know, I'm very excited on it. Um, I think this is uh, this could be very a fruitful adventure for Hedgeye. And, uh, you know, I definitely look forward to more discussions with you and Andrew. Awesome. Um, well, you gave me a lot there. Um, so I'm going to, if it's okay, I'm just going to pick it apart, um, go curiosity by curiosity. Yeah, so so even even before we get down to the fast-growing companies, I technically, well, maybe part of like the new China versus old China, like, you know, for those of us who are listening and we've been investors in, you know, U.S. equities and international equities, um, but a lot of even the international territories that we're, we've invested, um, so mu- much of it has like a shared culture, like a like a Greco-Roman maybe like underpinning or whatever enlightenment, what European Enlightenment um, era stuff that we all flow from that. All of our education in high school and, and college and whatever, China culture is just so different. I guess like if we it's, Chinese culture is different. Managing the interaction with the government, obviously, U.S. You know, there's things that make the market go up and down every day with silly things from the U.S. government as well. So it's not like that that's unique to China, but it's a different government. It's a different set of noise to manage relative to. I mean, you've you've had this a lot with Alibaba, for example, um, and Jack Ma and and him stepping on the wrong toes. But like, how did you get yourself ready to? You mentioned about you know, brushing up on Mandarin, but were were there any, like, cultural signposts that you pay attention to now that you didn't before? Or maybe were there any, like, books, like, you know, the famous Go West or whatever it is, like, that that you had to brush up on or read or read synopsis of or whatever it is, or the cartoon version? I don't I mean, some kind of, were there cultural signposts? Are there, like, news websites that you had to sort of brush up on? Um and and then the government thing I mentioned, and then also like on the accounting side, um, obviously there's some differences there in terms of like how things are done. So can you give us like kind of like the transition from from your old coverage to the new coverage and like along those elements, like the the cultural elements, the, the signposts that around there, like the accounting, the government, things like that? Okay, sure. Absolutely. So I'm going to try to hit on all the questions, but uh, just stop me if I... Uh, we'll get the answer part of it. The first thing I would say, in, in terms of culture-wise, that's different from my previous job. When you're covering China, um, there's one thing that's ubiquitous in Chinese society, and it's something called the mobile phone. Um, it's heavily, you know, almost 99% uh, adoption rate already. Uh, pretty much everyone that wants a phone has a phone in China. Um, so, so that means mobile technology, mobile apps, um, 
anything to do with a phone is is where Chinese society revolves around. Now, there's a giant app out there called WeChat. Um, they're kind of the social media superpower in that all the messaging, kind of like if you think about like a Facebook but on steroids, it covers everything. Everything that you can imagine can be done through this app. You can do messaging, you can shop, you can go book a travel to Beijing, you can tell a taxi, you can make reservations on that hot new restaurant around the corner. You can do everything on this one app by itself. And uh, it's pretty amazing. And they continue to make, uh, you know, updates here and there because there's always competition. That's the other thing that I had to learn about in China is competition. One thing that's very different in Chinese culture, in Chinese, uh, particularly in the tech world, is everybody wants to emulate everybody else. And I had to read a couple books on this. One, one book I would recommend readers to uh, take a look at is AI Superpowers. It's a classic by Kai-Fu Lee. Um, he's, he, you know, he's one of the biggest Chinese experts and particularly on AI technology. And that book was very enlightening because it, it basically shows, you know, how China came into the tech world. Are they competing against the U.S.? The cultural differences. The biggest cultural difference in my mind, again, is they, they love competition. So there's nothing that would stop them from competing against someone else, even though it's not in their core competency. For example, you know, uh, Didi. Uh, Didi is a, you know, um, the equivalent of, say, Uber. And Didi actually acquired Uber China um, in China. And they are a wide-hailing platform. But a lot of people may not know that they've recently ventured into community group buying, which is a very, very hot and new e-commerce venture that everybody's talking about in e-commerce land. So how, how could you ask you know, a ride-hailing firm, a ride-hailing company, decide to invest a lot of money into e-commerce? But this is not out of the ordinary at all. When you think about the big giants in China, everybody wants to be everywhere in China all at the same time. Uh, so, so, you know, if something's hot, everybody wants to invest in it. For example, online education was extremely hot last year. Everybody wanted to invest in it. Alibaba, ByteDance, you know, a couple of the superpowers. Uh, they, they all want a hand, even though they knew nothing, very little, about how that ecosystem works. So that's, that's one of the biggest uh, uh, new things I had to learn um, in covering China is basically understanding that it's fair game to everybody, all the super giants out there. If they want to be in a particular ecosystem in China, they can and they will invest in it if it's going to, you know, if it's going to drive growth. Um, so because of that, I've taken on more of a generalistic approach to covering China, you know, I started out focusing more on the internet side, but then I realized all these internet supergiants, they all have arms and legs and so many different uh, ecosystems, uh, you know. So I basically had to learn each field, not just the one that they were known in. For example, e-commerce, you know, Alibaba, 
well, Alibaba has so many arms and legs and so many different fields. You know, it's almost impossible to cover all of them. But there's still today a mostly e-commerce, cloud, uh, fintech firms. Um, Tencent, they're pretty much the, the gamut of all the industries out there. So it's made my job very interesting because I've, you know, kind of gone towards looking at different industries and see how they're interconnected. That's something that I never really experienced at GLL. GLL was pretty simplistic. You know, you have cruise lines, you have couple of hotels, you have casinos. They're all in their own little ecosystem. But in China, everything is interconnected. You have to think about how one industry impacts the other. Just because everybody wants to, you know, everybody wants to succeed and to be as good as possible. So they never look down any opportunity in China, even though it may be completely unrelated to what they're currently doing. So that's kind of how I will answer that question. It's very, uh, it, may, it may be just a China phenomenon. I, I don't, you know, I haven't seen much of this kind of instance in the U.S., but you can correct me if I'm wrong here. But in China, it's been all, it's a very gung-ho mentality to conquer all. It's basically... You either conquer it or you fail. <laughs> it's a very, uh, uh, very polarized view. That is awesome. Um, that that's like an awesome intro. I, I, I like just thinking about it. Can you imagine, um, like since like Uber's IPO was a um, not a success, right? And sort of like they came public and Lyft also on like sort of peaking um, metrics. Of growth and things like that, and of course, then the then the on top of it, the, the COVID this year in 2020, last year in 2020, um, hurt them terribly. But can you imagine if they had looked at China and been like, "Let's go compete with Amazon. Like, let's just go. Let's go. Let's." And and of course, in the beginning, everyone would have been like, "Pshaw, you can't do that," you know. But like by now, I mean, you're in. Like, yeah, maybe they'd already, you know. They have like a really fast-growing business in this area that they would have figured out, and they'd be scaling and succeeding. I mean, Amazon isn't perfect. There's lots of things they do wrong. Um, no reason why somebody can't compete with them, or Facebook, or something like that. Like, I love this. Um, I do have a question about it, though. Like, doesn't it? Um, a, it, it it probably means that whenever there's a new market, um, the penetration curve for that new market goes from one percent to a hundred percent really fast. Um, and then, of course, when you get real, like on the way there, margins start to fall because you know you have nine pe- nine successful firms with great brands all providing this similar service at the same time. Right. Like, how, how do you? Is that is that true? I'm, I'm, is that, I'm, it's a supposition. I just don't know. Is that true? Yeah. Well, I think the penetration. Everybody you know talks about penetration levels. How this new field can impact that you know it won't get to 100 percent in a few years but maybe 10 years down the road everybody that's interested in that opportunity would have already invested a lot of money a lot of time and yeah to your point it does hurt margins so for example alibaba a super giant of e-commerce right they have to contend with so much competition these days that they never had the experience 10 years ago. They were pretty much by themselves, maybe JD as a near competitor, but now you know they have so much other smaller non-public companies out there competing with them, in addition to the public companies that are 
basically grabbing their market share. Um, but they've had to protect their moat, and it's very, very difficult just because everybody is learning from what Alibaba did. They're learning from the good things that they did and avoiding any of the, of the mistakes they've made in e-commerce in the past. So it gets very, very crowded, to your point. I, I mean, it's, it gets very, very crowded. And, then, and one thing China's very good at is subsidies. So that's just a fancy word of saying, I'm going to give you a lot of coupons and a lot of free money to try out my product. You know, basically a very good deal, intro deal. I'm new, you don't know me, but I want your support. I want you to use my product, particularly on the mobile device. So what do I do? I give you free money for, for trying it out. And if you get hooked, you'll start spending, spending real money. So this subsidy concept is extremely, extremely popular in China, and it could lead to like subsidy wars. Uh, among a lot of the major platforms. And that's when things can get really, really out of hand and be very, really dangerous. There's a terminology in China it's called burning money or burning cash. Burning cash, basically, you're giving out money or you're using money without getting anything in return. And you're hoping users, you know, get comfortable with using your product. But in the meantime, you're burning a big hole in your financials, heavy losses, and you need outside capital, outside support to fund this kind of, uh, you know, technique or strategy. And usually it ends very badly because you can't make up your losses or the investors basically say enough is enough. You know, you, you have too much losses and you're not getting enough attention. And a lot of companies go bankrupt. A lot of companies go bankrupt every day in China. It's not really being told in the, in the media these days, but still, a lot of companies go bankrupt because everybody wants to be the next, you know, superpower in China. So, but to do so requires a lot of investment, a lot of cash burning, and a lot of luck. And the bigger guys that are successful in these fields, they've had to protect themselves, but sometimes they can't. But what, what do they do instead? They do the same thing that these small guys do too, which is spend a lot of money and try to get up, try to get their edge back, and that hurts margins. So you know, I agree with you 100% on that. Usually, this happens all the time. It just takes a while for it to happen, but there are wars. These are subsidy wars, coupon wars. They happen in every aspect of Chinese uh, Chinese lifestyle. So it's very exciting to watch and see how it unfolds. That's amazing. Um, it's almost like a swarm mentality. Um, you know what I mean? Like like the locusts go here and then the locusts go there and like you know <laughs> eat everything when they get there and then they move on. Mm -hmm. it, it brings up it brings mm -hmm. up a question. You and I have talked about it a little bit in the past, um, but like I guess if you if you think about the development of China and where um, these equities are, these large platform companies, the successful ones at least, um, I, and you think about like the U.S., for example, I mean, based on everything you just said, do you think over the next 10 years, or I don't know, maybe it's five years or 20 years, whichever metric you want to use, um, do you think like the top 10 Chinese equities in 
like this kind of like internet platform type of category will outperform the top 10 U.S., like, you know, the Amazon, Facebook, Google, that kind of category, like, you know, even some of the tech names in there, throw them in there too. But like, do you think the Chinese names will outperform, like even with this kind of swarm mentality that ultimately hurts margins or, but is good for growth? Like, how do you, how do you balance, how do you think about the long term here? Is it like super bullish or is it kind of shortable? Like, what's your sort of thought process around that? Yeah, that's a, I love this question. I really do. And I think about it almost every day because uh, it's it's a very interesting question. And it's very hard to answer because it's not straightforward. The China market is very different from the U.S. market. Yes, there's a lot more competition. Yes, everybody's cutthroat. Yes, everybody wants to be on everybody else's. U.S. doesn't really have that. If you're good at something, right, you can be extremely good at it. And everybody uses your product. And that's how you succeed. So, but China's market is much bigger. You have 1.4, almost 1.5 billion people. Uh, U.S. what 250 somewhere around there. So, 350, in terms yeah, of yeah. just uh, 350, yeah. So, in terms of market size, you know, China has the advantage. So, if you can create something unique and scalable, oh my God, you know, there's just so much demand. Um, hey, hey, Felix. Felix, this is Andrew. I just had a quick question on that. I'm just curious. You mentioned mobile before. Of the of, of the Chinese China population, like where is like adoption of technology of mobile? Like where are we along that curve uh, in terms of folks that have access to the internet? Um, now I'm just curious how you think about that. And I didn't mean to cut you off and interrupt your train of thought, but I was just when we were talking about comparing different population sizes. Um, yeah, I was just curious where we are in comparison. Yeah, uh, sure. No worries. Um, you know, I think, as I mentioned before, you know, the adoption rate for uh, or the penetration rate for uh, mobile is, is almost 100%, probably 99.2, I believe, is the number, whereas Internet penetration is about two-thirds. So that means two thirds of China has a, has access to the internet, and of those two thirds people, almost everybody has access, but are accessing that internet through their mobile device. Um, in addition to you know having a computer and access it that way. So hopefully I, I answer your I answer your question there. I mean it's very high. Um, you know pretty much as I said, everybody that wants a phone have already heard of a phone, um, you know, so they know what a phone is. Um, some people still don't know what a phone is. They don't, they're more old fashioned. They're more traditional. They don't like phones. They don't like technology. Um, there's still that, you know, part of the population there, but that's becoming fewer and fewer. Pretty much everybody who wants a phone and wants to use a phone has access to a phone and phones can be, you know, they're affordable in China. Uh, maybe not an iPhone, but other phone competitors are fairly low price that if people want one, they can get one. Got it. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off. Thank you. No, no. Uh, I think, you know, it, it, so to come back to Omni's question is, uh, it's, it's a difficult question because uh, I, I do believe a lot of the new technology driven 
AI-driven or thinking, I would say, companies are right now being incubated in China that a lot of people, you know, may not have heard of or <laughs> forgotten to hear about um, because they compare it with a U.S. competitor, right? Uh, for example, you know, electric vehicles right now is a hot, hot area that everybody's talking about. And you can thank Tesla for that um, because of their Giga factory in Shanghai. Well, you have a lot of Chinese competitors too that everybody won't, you know, is getting excited about too, just because of that. Um, Apple has always been a big influence on China. Um, whatever Apple does, people, you know, pay attention in China. So, you know, um, another big influence. So it's it's difficult to say, you know, who has who's going to be the first mover between U.S. and China five to ten years from now. But what I would say is, I know for sure is whoever does move first, the second player is definitely going to move as fast as they can to catch up. Um, and and both countries are going to be paying attention to each other. Uh, you know, obviously the trade war was an unfortunate incident, but the, one of the beneficiaries of the trade war is at least people are now paying more attention what goes on in in each other's countries, and that includes on the tech side. So, um, yeah, so that's a long-winded answer to your question, which is I don't know. I think uh, you can argue both ways, but I, I do believe, you know, China does have a lot of interesting new technologies in the next five to ten years that could have a powerful influence, not just in China, globally. Okay, so I have another question. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I have like 100 actually, but I've got to skip to the end because we're getting up close, close to the, the half an hour here. Um, you've had some incredible calls already just in your short time frame um, sitting in the sector head seat for Hedgehog China. Um, you know, one of them on the long side, for example, on Pinduoduo, um, I mean, short side, you've killed it as well. You've had also on the long side, China, Yuzan. And I'm just, I want to just take a step back, like part of all this conversation and some of the things you mentioned at the end there with China will have some amazing new technologies coming out and things like that over the coming years. If you had to think about a stock, whether you cover it today or not, it doesn't matter. Um, that is, in your mind, could be like, I don't know, a 25 bagger. You know what I'm saying? Like over the next, call it 10 years, where, where do you think, oh my God, this thing is, they, I'm just, you're, you, it, it's high on your curiosity list, or maybe you're active on it today, it doesn't matter, and you just think they have an incredible start, an incredible position, an incredible pipeline, um, and yeah, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out at you. What, what stands out to you is like, oh my God, this could be like a home run long. Putting me in a tough spot. Um, I... Look, I think there are a lot. one thing that's amazing on me uh, in my space right now is uh, these Chinese stocks whip around a lot. Just when you're thinking about doing some work on a particular company, it goes up 200% in just a, you know a month or so. So, uh, or it goes down 50% on no on no news. So volatility is very high in my in my area. Um, I, I don't know. I, uh, I I actually think some of the private companies could be 
could be interesting to look at when you're talking about 25 bagger. And they're not necessarily unicorns. Um, they're quasi-unicorns. Uh, but they have some disruptive technologies um, that I'm, you know, I'm interested in learning about that could be impactful to the society. I don't have any names for you yet, but maybe a couple of episodes down the road on this podcast, we can revisit this, this question. Um, awesome. Um, Felix, it's amazing. I, honestly, I feel like we could go another three hours on this stuff. I, I literally have pages of questions that I didn't get to. Um, but I really appreciate you willing to be in the hot seat today. Um, guys on the line, I'm so sorry that I, I hugged, I hugged the questions. I just, I have so much, um, curiosity in this area. So, um, well, anyway, thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, this was our, our first installment of our podcast and hope you enjoyed it. The preceding has been presented for informational purposes only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com terms of service.